QTS 003 being recorded on the 15th of January in the year 2024. It is a cold, cold, cold day where I am right now. And I'm sitting in, I have been for a long time. I've been doing a lot of work today. So I've been sitting in the room that I use as my office in my home, which is on the second floor and is situated right above a garage. So the effect of that, having my office in this room, is that it is often either the hottest or the coldest room on the second floor of my house. In the winter, on really cold days like today, the garage underneath me, which is poorly insulated, gets very, very cold. And that cold seeps up through the floor into the room that I'm in. I'm wearing shoes right now. I don't always wear shoes inside my house, but I'm wearing shoes right now because if I were to have just my feet, and I'm also wearing some very, very thick socks earlier, I just was wearing just those socks without shoes. And my feet were on the floor in this room. It's a hardwood floor. And it was extremely uncomfortable. It didn't feel nice at all. It felt terrible. And so I went and I put shoes on. It's just that cold. The garage is super cold, which makes this room super cold. And my, I have the, one of the things I tried to do to help warm myself up is there's two windows in this room and they both get pretty good light. So I, I opened the shades on those windows completely and totally. They're wide open. So there's as much light as is possible can flood into this room. And it is a bright, sunny day. Be that as it may, it's so damn cold that the light, the bright light coming into this room feels cold. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some light that you, when you experience it, it feels warm and there's other light. This is less often the case, but there's some light that when you experience it, it feels cold. I noticed this, this year I was driving my kids around to take a look at Christmas lights and especially those just white Christmas lights. There's some white Christmas lights that when I look at them, I get a warm kind of feeling in my body. I'm actually, uh, clearly I'm not standing like right by the light. So it's not like the light is producing the feeling. This is a purely sort of psychological happening. I look at certain lights and I think that is a warm light that feels like a warm light. Um, my body associates that light to warmth. Then there's other lights that tend to be very, very, very white. You know, they're, they're not, they don't have any kind of amber hue to them or whatever. And those lights, I experience those lights as cold. I look at them and my body associates that light with feeling cold. Well, the light coming in to this room today is reflecting off of a bunch of snow. And so it's got this in intensity. It's got this super brightness to it. And I'm experiencing that intense, super bright reflected off of snow light in a room, which is pretty cold. And therefore the light feels cold. 
the light feels cold. It is a weird, strange phenomenon to experience it this viscerally, but that is what is happening to me as I sit in this room. Anyways, enough about that. I want to talk to you about something else. One of the other things I was doing today, right before I came into this room to do the work that I needed to do, I was uh, reading RSS feeds from blogs that I follow, trying to catch up. I, at a certain point, I'm probably going to need to do RSS bankruptcy, which is this thing where I just mark everything as red and start with a fresh state, fresh slate. I'm not there yet. I'm still trying to catch up on certain feeds and not miss anything that those feeds put out. And one of those feeds that I, I don't like to miss anything is from the blog disquiet.com, which is a very long-standing blog about sound and the ways in which sound interacts with our day-to-day lives and affects us in different ways. It's a wonderful blog. If you don't read it and that sounded interesting to you, you should probably just stop listening to me and go to a web browser and go to disquiet.com and go down that rabbit hole because it's a pretty fun rabbit hole to go down. So as I was reading that, and I found a post that the guy who is the person who writes virtually all the posts on disquiet.com, a gentleman who I've never met, but who I've read his writing for a long time. His name is Mark Weidenbaum. And he did this one post. It was from a while back. So IE, I was catching up. So I was reading some older posts. This one was about the transition from the year 2023 to the year 2024. We are 15 days into that at this point. So it's a little bit of an older post. And in that post, Mark was writing about certain things that he wanted to have more of in his life and certain things he maybe he wanted to trim back or have less of. And one of the things that he identified that he wanted more of is transition time. And as he was describing it, he used this wonderful, wonderful word. It's one of my favorite words in the English language. Liminality is the word that he used. I love the word liminal. I first encountered that word when I was reading um, the William Gibson novel, Pattern Recognition, which is the book of fiction that I have read more times than any other book of fiction. I don't know how many times I've read it a lot. It is a book that I keep going back to. It scratches an itch in a way that no other work of fiction that I have encountered scratches an itch. It's so, so good. Anyways, I I remember reading that book and I don't have it in front of me right now, so I can't quote it directly, but the main character, the protagonist, the narrator is this woman, Case Pollard, and she's a passenger in a car and she passes a motorcycle accident and she thinks to herself that the rider of the motorcycle is on the mo- in the most liminal of spaces in between life and death because a liminal space is a transitional space. It's a, it's a space that is neither one thing nor another. It is a, a threshold. It is a, a space through which you pass when you're going from one thing to another. And I like that concept. And I really like that word. I like reading it. I like saying it liminal. It is, it's a fun word to say liminal. I just, the, the phonicness of it, the, 
way that my mouth makes the word is really great, I think. Uh, Maybe it's strange to think that, but that is what I think. Anyways, I'm going to read directly a a quote here from the blog post on disquiet.com. Again, this is from the list of things that Mark, the person who wrote it, wants to have more of. He writes, bus rides, long lunches, and liminality in general have long since declined in my life, and I need to bring back that attenuated interstitial aspect of existence. Midday walks are an attempt, a step forward as it were, as is not keeping email open all the time during daylight hours. I just realized as I was reading that out loud, I, there's this, this, I listen to audiobooks and there's the audiobook of pattern recognition, the William Gibson book where I first encountered the term liminal. The narrator of that book had this way of reading and I just kind of attempted to mimic it. I didn't consciously choose to do that. It just happened. I think that's maybe noteworthy somewhat interesting at least to me might not be to you but i'm i'm like huh look at that that's another that aesthetic that style of reading is something that i kind of thought was cool especially when reading about this kind of content that doesn't match the way that i speak when i'm just speaking but there's something about that that i like but that's a cul-de-sac i went down it now we're coming out of that cul-de-sac liminality let's return to that when I read this blog post on disquiet.com, that section that I just read to you in particular, I had two reactions to it. So the first reaction is a very general reaction. I think that having more time or space or time as space between things is a very good idea. I say this as somebody who is not unfamiliar with being scheduled back to back several days in a row with very limited amounts of time or space between the things that I'm doing. I find that when I do have that, when I have that sort of interstitial space between this and that, I do both this and that in ways that are better than when I lack that space. It's a thing. I know it. I don't think I'm unique in this respect. I'm sure that there are other people, many other people, perhaps you're one of them that feel exactly the same way. And yet, even though I know this, even though I know this, I will still overschedule myself. I will still not value to the extent that I should value putting time and space in between different things that I'm doing. How about that? You feel the same way? I don't know why I'm asking you that. This is a podcast. I can't really hear your response. Perhaps it's just an unconscious attempt to make this feel more conversational. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, that was my my first observation. Second observation has to do with psychoanalysis. It's a more specific sort of thing. And I can recall back in the before times, a signifier that I'm going to use without defining, in the before times, 
before there was screen-mediated therapies being used as frequently as they are today, people needed to leave one place where they were, their home or their work. Then they needed to take their real body and travel someplace, the analyst's office, go to the waiting room, sit there for however long. It would depend, however long would probably depend on, you know, how early they arrived for their session. And that produced this kind of liminal, interstitial space. And I think that that probably made the sessions better when people did that. And they don't do it as much now. I'm, I, I see an analyst myself. I don't do it as much now because now, you know, the, all I got to do, all that a lot of my patients who see me got to do when they want to start their session is they just got to grab their laptop or their phone and they got to, you know, boot up the, the app and there it is. You know, the, the video window opens up and the session starts and that's fine, I guess. There's nothing terribly wrong about doing things that way. But I think that it probably does mean that the session isn't as good as it could be if there was some aspect of liminal space in between regular life and the session, the start of the session. I think that that's a good thing to build in there. And people can. I mean, you can still have screen-mediated therapy and I think produce that. It would just mean that you'd have to work a little bit to produce it. I could do this, right? If I wanted to go see the person who is my analyst instead of scheduling the, my session in a way where it, it's like I, fi I finish up doing something and then right after I finish that, I grab my laptop, I open it up and start my session. I could try to build in some space in between the two things. That'd be a very good idea. I should do that. I should do that more than I do that. This podcast and many other podcasts that I do is produced through Surplus Jouissance Projects. You can find out more about Surplus Jouissance Projects by going to surplusjouissance.com. That's S-U-R-P-L-U-S-J-O-U-I-S-S-A-N-C-E.com. And if you like the kinds of things that I make, if you like this and other things that I make, you can support the continued production of these things by becoming a member or a supporter of SJP, Surplus Shoes Projects. All right, that's it. I've spoken enough. You've listened enough. I will say see you next time. Go back to my quotidian existence, and you can go back to yours. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Take care. <laughs>